welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the second morning service of Sunday the 7th of November 2010, entitled Abraham's Faith, and the Bible reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 to 10. Here's Pastor Tony Bickley. Good morning, it's good to be here. Well, it's good, nearly good afternoon. There's a couple of people I need to thank. Uh, Owen, you're never going to remember this. Uh, I think about... Been here about... Uh, about three months, we were sitting outside, and I said to Owen, I said, um, I know it's right to be here because everything is going so well. And he said to me, he says, well, if it wasn't going well, would you still think it was right? Now, it doesn't seem a very big thing, does it? But I tell you, that stuck with me. Do you remember it? It just stuck with me. Things don't always go well, but that doesn't mean they're not right. Uh, and Larry, what, what a, an example of, uh, of faithful ministry. Under, under duress at times. Um, a lot of what I learned to start my ministry in Brighton, I learned here, uh, and I do thank this church for all that it did for me. Um, Larry's right, Brighton is not a place you would choose to go to. <laughs> you have to feel that you're called there. <laughs> um, it's got its problems, in, uh, particular problems, and uh, we have the smallest church attendance of any city in the country. Um, and, and it shows that a lot of small churches in Brighton, uh, and we're not, not, not an exception to that. But we do believe that God can change that. Again, watching Larry and his faithful service through uh, difficulties, uh, and looking around here, I see that God can change that. So we are encouraged um, by coming back here. Now I'm just going to read a, just a, a few verses from Hebrews chapter 11, um, verse 8 down to verse 10. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 down to verse 10. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he, whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as, in a, as a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. It is such a, a gift, a divine and heavenly gift. And as we look to it, we pray that you would use it, Lord, to open our hearts, to open our understanding, to work in our lives, that we might be given the grace to serve you more, to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, to understand that as Christians we are very much a part of that joy that was set before him and to remember the things he endured for our sake. We do commit ourselves to you and ask that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look uh, today, uh, this morning and this afternoon, at, uh, at two aspects of faith, Abraham uh, this morning and, uh, and Moses this afternoon. Uh, let me say, it's really good to hear all these proper accents, by the way. I live in a place which doesn't really have many proper accents. Um, and they think I'm strange. I would love to have bought them. We could have all thought they were strange, couldn't we? But anyway, we're going to look at Abraham. Abraham is called, isn't he, the father of faith by many people. And it's not in any way an unjustifiable title uh, for this man of God. Uh, faith did not begin with him. Um, but the church, as we know, in some aspects, began with him. Now, you might say that surely he is the patriarch of, uh, of Judaism. Oh, that's true, he is. 
Um, he was uh, certainly uh, largely instrumental in, uh, in, the, in the nation, according to the promises of God. Uh, and you might think that his chief influence was amongst the uh, Semitic people. Uh, again, this would be, would be true in many ways. But I think according to Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we have to take notice of this man. It's much bigger than this. The Jews said, uh, we have Abraham as our father. Uh, well, we have God as our father, but certainly we have Abraham as a major, major influence and uh, instructor to us in matters of faith. As I say, this morning we're going to look at Abraham. Seven things, uh, they're, they're, they're small things. They're not massively, they're not 20 minutes long each, each thing, but seven small aspects of Abraham's life. Um, uh, and as I say, this afternoon we're going to look at... Uh, I think it's four aspects of the life of Moses. Um, and so we're going to spend the day looking at the subject of faith. Um, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Um, you just can't please God. If you're not a Christian, if your faith is not in Christ, uh, it doesn't matter what you do, what you say, uh, what you believe, it will not please God. Because you can only please God by being in Christ Jesus. He alone is perfect, He alone is holy. He alone is able to save you, and only in him can you approach the throne of grace. We're told of Jesus as our high priest that we can approach the throne of grace with boldness. Uh, we're told that we can approach crying, Abba, Father. And that's an, a marvellous thing, isn't it, to think that we can approach God, the God of the universe, the God who made all things, and we can call him Abba. We can call him our Father. We're not approaching some stranger in, in the distance. We're not approaching someone who is waiting with some uh, big stick to beat us every time we do something wrong. We're coming to a loving Father. And that's all because of Jesus, all because of Calvary, all because of what Jesus has done. Uh, and Abraham's faith reflects that. Seven things. Faith, by faith he obeyed God. By faith he believed God for something. He didn't just believe in a God. Um, you go around the doors or on the streets, you say to people, do you believe in God? And they say, yes, of course I believe in God. But they don't really believe in God in any specific way. Well, Abraham believed God for something. Faith has expectations. Uh, he went into the unknown. Uh, he put himself into danger. He put himself into obvious discomfort. There are those, uh, I think Owen touched on this really, those who go around and saying, come to Jesus and all your problems will go away. Well, they won't. Your major problems will go away. Your etern eternal issues will be dealt with. But there will be rain falling on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. Um, I was thinking, actually, uh, I'm not sure I haven't got it somewhere in my notes to refer to it, but uh, I, I was preaching last Wednesday on uh, the promises of God. Uh, and uh, we, we looked at Isaiah 42. Fear not, for I am with you. Um, but it's when you're in the flood, when you're in the fire, when the river's overflowing, that's where God is. If you avoid those things, if I step around them, God is in them. He's not over here. He's not over there. Well, I mean, he's there in that sort of general sense. But in the specific need of my life, he's actually in the trials. And Abraham went into the difficulties, he went into the problems, and that's where he found God to be most real. And he looked beyond what he could see to what one day would be. So Abraham obeyed God. That's where faith begins, isn't it, in obeying God. Now this is obvious from what we've read. 
Um, we see that when he heard the call on his life, he went. We don't find anywhere that he questioned, he just went. But the question that really is, what does that imply to us? Uh, our first reading told us, um, or the, uh, the second part of our first reading told us that for Abraham it involved a total upheaval in his life. He was told to leave everything he knew and everything he probably loved. It's not reasonable really to think that he hated his life. We have no indication of that. But God had a new life planned for him. Uh, he was probably content. He had a wife, servants, friends. He was probably content with the life he had, but God had another plan for him. I remember when Liz and I were, uh, got the letter to say we were, we were moving to Brighton. I said to Liz, I said, well, I don't really want to go. And she says, well, neither do I. I said, but I prayed if, if it was God's will uh, that we stay here, we wouldn't get the job. And she said, so did I. And we said, well, then it must be the right thing to go. You see, God moves people to where he wants them. Not always comfortable. It involves upheaval. And he was told to leave everything that he knew and that he probably loved, to leave the comfort zone of everything he grew up with and everything he knew. And isn't that our calling? To leave the comfort of what we know. Isn't that really the gospel? You look at verse 25 of, uh, of this chapter. Sorry, verse uh, 20. Uh, tw yes, verse 20, 25 of this chapter. Speaks of Moses. We'll probably touch on this this evening. But we see that he's chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There's a, a lie that goes around, isn't there, that uh, sinners are always unhappy. Well, they, one, day, one day they will be, but in life sometimes they're, they're very happy, very content, very uh, stable in their life. It may be that there are those here who have not come to Christ, who feel they don't need Jesus, that somehow life is okay. It may seem that way. But one day you will have to stand before God and give an account of your life. Will it be okay then? One day you'll have to stand before the throne of God, the judgment seat of Christ. What will you say? If God says, why should I let you into my heaven? I don't think the question will be asked in that way, but if he did, what would you answer? Well, I believe in God. I have a good life. Um, it was comfortable and happy, and uh, I was good to my children. I was good to my, my family, good to my neighbors. Have you trusted Jesus? Have you given your life away to God? Instead of living it for yourself, are you living it for God? Because that's what Abraham did. He had a comfortable life, a safe life. And then God came into his life and he said to Abraham, pick up your things and go. Oh, where am I going? I'll show you where you're going. And when you get there, I'll give it to you. That's what he says to you today. Pick up your things. 
Leave the life that you love so much and give it to God. Follow him. What, what, what will I gain? I don't know. But you will gain. Your end will be better than your beginning. Abraham left everything, the comfort, the safety of home, family and friends, the comfort and safety of his cocooned environment. And we like that, don't we? We like that safe feeling that somehow the, the world is, uh, is unable to touch us. That's not Christianity. That's not faith. Abraham went. He left the safety. He, he left the love of sin and its timely pleasures. He left a season of sin for seasons of happiness. For Abraham, this was not trusting God for his next meal. Sometimes people say, I believe in Jesus, and they go a little while, and then troubles come, and they think, well, I don't believe in him anymore. Because they never trusted him in the first place. Abraham didn't trust God for his next meal. When he left Ur, of the Chaldeas, when he went God's way, he was trusting God for every meal that would come, for every other thing that would follow. He was trusting God with his life. You trust God with your life. The ground of his faith was hearing the voice of God audibly in his heart by the mouth of an angel. I don't know. I just know that God spoke to him. And God speaks to us through his word. What was it that he was called from? Well, we can only speculate, and to some degree archaeology helps, but it's thought that the region was, that he came from was given over to uh, uh, paganism, to moon worship. It's also thought that he may have had some cross-flood influence. It may be that he heard the gospel. So, well, how can that be? Well, if you work out the dates, it's quite a complex issue. You'll have to take my word for it for the moment. But Shem was still alive. And also his son. He was the father of the Semitic people. Perhaps he had some gradual, residual gospel information. Certainly he'd heard about God from his ancestors, we might think. But nevertheless, and whatever the less, he hears. He hears the voice of God and he obeys. And this is perhaps one of the greatest challenges to us today. He had nothing that we know of that was written down. He couldn't pick up his Bible and read it. There was no major God-worshipping group in the area that we know of. There was superstition. There was separation. And it came soon after Babel. That's why we read of that dispersing of the people. It was a time of confusion, a time of division in many ways. And in that way, we can say it's not unlike our own time in this nation. If we think of the advantages we have regarding the Lord's voice, if we consider we do not have to grope about in the dark, we have his word. In the midst of the confusion, Abraham's ear is attuned to God. And that's where we need to be, isn't it? Attuned to God, hearing God in his word. We don't have to listen for ethereal voices or 
things like that. We have his word or scripture given by inspiration of God and it's sufficient for the completion of every Christian. We have something solid, something unchangeable. It's found in our completed Bible. No other message, no further revelation and no better word. By faith, Abraham heard the word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed the word of God. And by faith, we can appropriate the word of God. I remember reading this morning uh, how Timothy was uh, taught in the scriptures from his youth, that, which were able to make him uh, saved, which were able to bring him to salvation. By faith, we can and we should obey his word. Also, Abraham, by faith, believed for something. He didn't just believe in God in a kind of general way, uh, you know, sort of, you know, I believe there's a God out there. Um, I believe that uh, he may care about me. I believe that he's doing great and wonderful things. He believed specifically. Faith's not a vain hope. It's not a speculative end. It's not just speculating that God might exist and might do something for me. Abraham's faith is focused on two things. Firstly, it's focused on God himself. It believes in God. It believes on God. And secondly, it's focused on, on believing upon what God says. But James says uh, about uh, being doers of the word, not just hearers, that faith without works is dead, being alone. Well, it's not enough to read the word of God. It's not enough to hear the voice of God. We have to act on it. We have to respond to it. It's not just a theoretical assent to words. It acts upon knowledge. Faith is a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. And we're called, aren't we, to be doers of the word. When you pick your Bible up and you read something and you feel conviction, it's very easy to close the pages and just put it down and wait for that conviction to go away. But that's not faith. Faith acts. If you're unsaved, God commands you to act today. When Paul preached to the uh, Athenians, he said, God commands all men everywhere, that's all men and women, all boys and girls, everywhere to repent. God commands it. And you've heard it. And do you act upon it? You see, it only works in your life if, like Abraham, you act upon it. If you live in sinful rejection of Jesus, then you reject God's word, and so you reject God. Your life is to be lived in obedience to his will. Or well, one day, you will fall before his judgment seat. There's a power in the world that can change this. God's word, it's the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. And unless you emulate Abraham and believe God, unless you believe upon Jesus for your salvation, unless you believe the gospel and act upon it, 
then it's having no effect. Like water off a duck's back. The gospel you're called to believe on is not some kind of blind alley. It has a real purpose. And that too is seen here. God did not just say to Abraham, go blindly into the wilderness. He's told that his journey had a purpose and that it had an end. Not simply about him aimlessly wandering. He says, go and I will give you a land of your own. Now, faith came when Abraham thought, well, how's this going to happen? I don't know, but I'll trust God. And there may be things in your life you think, well, how will God bring this about? I don't know. But God knows. And faith rests in God. God has a purpose. God has a plan for the life of those who love him. When we are called from the world, when it was, it was the, the same for, for Abraham as it is for us, God made himself heard in whatever way that may have been, most often by his word or through persons contacted with, uh, with by other Christians, but God makes his word heard. I venture to say, audible call, I find it hard to accept in these days. We have a Bible. No need for the voice of God from heaven. In fact, whatever we see this, often confusion ensues. But God speaks. God speaks. He speaks to you. Even as we gather this morning. Now, many Christians struggle to know the will of God. Often they wish that God would speak to them directly. They say, oh, why didn't God just tell me what to do? But he does. In his word, in the Bible, he tells you what to do. If we heard a voice, we couldn't be sure it was God. But unlike Abraham, we have a complete and certain voice. What does it say to us? Well, it says many things, but some are very similar to this here. We're told Abraham, uh, God told Abraham to go into a land to be revealed and then occupy it. Isn't that what we're told as Christians to do? To go into all the world? Preach the gospel, make disciples. It's the commandment of Jesus, isn't it? To those who follow him. Well, if we look at Mark 16, we can uh, just read that. And verse 14. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them, uh, with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. 
Then he goes on, and these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. See, we have a, a commission to go, to preach, to pray. And we might say, well, where shall I go? Well, where do you live? Where do you worship? Where do you work for God? Say, well, how can I do them? Well, with God, all things are possible. I think sometimes we just lack that faith, don't we, to believe that God is able. And yet God has saved you if you're a Christian. Was there anything special about you? Was there anything cleverer than other people? Do you think Abraham was the cleverest man in Ur? The most intelligent, the strongest, the tallest. Well, again, we have nothing to believe that by. He's just the one that God called. And he's calling you today. He's saying to you, come unto me. And I will give you rest won't be rest as the world knows it, but it will be rest in, in Christ Jesus. Rest in Jesus. We believe God for something when we come to Christ. And it's very similar to Abraham. He expected a new land, a kingdom given to him by God, and we also look to a kingdom. And so our actions are the same as his reactions. Our purpose is the same as his purpose. And despite not seeing the end... We walk by the same expectancy of faith, believing God and believing that it is his purpose, believing for something, something God will, being God's overall will, overall plan, his overall purpose for us. Also, by faith, Abraham went forth. He could have simply believed God. He could have simply believed for the promise. But he had something more. He had to act upon it. He had to follow it through. We read it, didn't we? By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should afterwards receive an inheritance, obeyed. And he went. He could have not gone. It could have been faith left naked. Uh, James speaks of that, doesn't he? James 2 and verse 26. For the body, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Or faith without actions, faith without an outworking. Faith is a requirement of the fulfillment of God's calling. Belief in its promises was another requirement if it was to become. But acting upon those two things was imperative if they were to be fulfilled. Through obedience attached to those things, we find God's blessing. If Abraham had never gone forth, then regardless of the future, regardless of the fallout that would have happened in Israel and the church today, if he'd never gone forth, what would have happened to the promise, I will make a great nation of you? 
every family shall be blessed. If you hadn't have done it, and how many things do we not do that we know that we should do? Regardless of this, he himself would have missed out. Because attached to the promise was this, I will bless you, Abraham. I will make your name great, Abraham. You shall be blessed. Christianity, faith, our relationship with God, they're personal. Obedience has, in the best sense, a selfish motive to it. Because Christian blessing is always attached to obedience. Would you say Abraham was blessed? Looking at his life as a whole, would you say that it was a blessed life? It was certainly a hard life. Christian obedience always comes first, and it's followed by blessing. He went forth, believing God, and he was blessed. Why? Well, it wasn't because he simply believed God. Rather, it was because he acted upon divine revelation. He responded to his God, to, to his God with his God-given faith. I don't know about you, but I find that exciting. It's an encouragement for us to hear the word of God and to take it into our hearts and our minds and then to act upon it and to know that by doing this, we will receive blessing. doesn't matter what that blessing is. If it's God bless, God's blessing, it doesn't matter what that task is. If it's God's task, it only matters when we listen, when we absorb, and when we obey. Because by faith, he put himself into open danger. It would be easy to imagine that this came naturally to Abraham. People make assumptions about these men of faith, and the end of all, all debate, they uh, remain this. They remain frail and fleshly men. Abraham was just a man. As was Moses, as was the Apostle Paul. And we see the failures of their lives. Isn't the Bible wonderful in that aspect? When it writes about men, it doesn't gloss over their failures. It doesn't make them appear whiter than white. When we look at the life of David and we see his pitfalls, we see his miseries, we see his lacking uh, faith, we see his sin. We see him as a man, a man of faith, not as some paragon of virtue. Well, the same is true of Abraham. It'd be easy to imagine that Abraham was somehow a superhuman. We make assumptions about the men of faith. We put them on a pedestal. But we see the failures of their lives as well as their successes, their weakness, as well as all their strength and their triumphs. Abraham heard the voice of God and obeyed it. How did he do this? Well, by faith he responded outwardly to God's inward workings. Ephesians tells us, by grace are we saved through faith that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. It's an external gift, but it makes an internal change. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There's a response to faith. Abraham heard God and he acted. Now, you may say you have faith. Almost quoting James here. James says, 
but I have works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You may say you have faith, but it's only seen in the fact that you act as a person of faith. Abraham heard God and acted, but it was not a safe and secure action. He left his safe haven for the danger of the open road. Robbers, strange land. It wasn't all paved roads with street lighting and police stations every uh, 10 miles or so. It was a wilderness, a dirt trail. Robbers, brigands, people he'd never met. No walled city around him. Instead, around him, he walked out. Around him wrapped, were, were wrapped the arms of God. He went out in faith. God would keep him. Not from trials, but God would keep him in the midst of trials. He would carry him through them and not around them. And we mentioned earlier Isaiah. It was actually 43, not 42. Um, Isaiah 43. Uh, and... Uh, Verse uh, 1 and 2. But now this, saith the Lord, but know this, saith the Lord, that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed thee, I have called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. That's great, isn't it? That's wonderful. I don't have to be afraid because God has called me. He's uh, called me even by my name, and now I belong to him. But then we read this. When, not if, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with thee. And when you pass through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon you. And we see that proven in the scriptures. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, in the midst of the fire, and in that midst in that heat, so hot that when the man threw them in, he died. In that heat, in the midst was God. In the midst was one as the Son of God. Abraham walked into danger, trusting God, because he knew that God would be with him. By faith, his trust was in God to keep him safe. And not only him, but his wife, his nephew, his servants, his household. By the world standard, he risked the lives of everyone. And how many times have you been told that you're doing something foolish? You're not caring for your family as you ought to. It's foolishness. By the world standard, he risked everybody's life. But by God's standard, he obeyed unto service. We don't respond to imaginations and ethereal sounds, but we do, we should. We must respond to the word. You remember what Hebrews chapter 1 says? I'm sure most of you have read it. The opening verses of Hebrews. God, who at sundry times in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophet, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom is appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things, you think of this, Jesus upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath 
by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. He's spoken to us by Jesus, by the word. Only Jesus, only the word. Faith goes into situations that are honouring to God. It steps into the arena in the power of the Holy Spirit. It engages rather than hiding. It is bold in its actions. I notice you have an open air on this Saturday. I wonder if there's any here who are afraid to go. Fearful of what people might think. Somebody might see you who knows you. Fearful of what they might say. Perhaps somebody will be abusive to you. Faith goes. Faith steps out. It steps into the arena in the power of the Holy Spirit. It engages rather than hiding. It is bold in its actions. It takes the chance for God and is restrained only by his word, which says go into the world. And it's emboldened by his word, which contains the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. By faith, Abraham put himself into obvious discomfort. It's one thing to sit in comfort and pontificate about service and say, we should be doing that and we should be doing this. I don't know if Larry has the same problem, but over the time I've been pastor, people have come and said, really, pastor, we should be doing this. And what they're actually saying is, pastor, you should be doing this. I hear a laugh. You've you've found it. You've experienced it. No, we should be doing it is the right statement. We, as a body of people, trusting in Christ. Faith goes out. Faith acts. It doesn't sit back in comfort. It is completely different to get down and get, uh, uh, get your hands dirty than it is to just talk about service. Abraham left the comfort of city life. He left it for the rigors of the road. He left it. He'd, uh, he upsticks every time he moved. His tent, an interesting aspect of his tent, he pitched his tent every time he stopped. But it wasn't deeply planted. His attachment to the world was tenuous. He was in the world, but not of the world. His reliance on the world was for needs rather than wants. The nature of his tent was a post which didn't actually bury into the ground. It was held by guys and a, a rope over it. He never planted his life in the ground. In other words, he lived on the surface of the ground. But he never settled his foundations in the world. Uh, and you wonder, don't you? Remember hearing the story of a, of a man, a, a Christian, well, I say a Christian man, he, he, he doubted his own salvation, yet he was preaching and uh, he ended his sermon saying, I hope I'll get there, but I don't know. But he gave this illustration of a, of life, the Christian life. He said it's like a bridge, crossing a bridge. You don't build your home on a bridge. And I wonder where your home is, where your life is lived mostly. Is it lived in the glory of the kingdom of God for the glory of the kingdom of God? Or is it lived in building a kingdom for yourself here, a comfort? Abraham was ready to move at the least of God's commands. We're fixed in God, aren't we? Fixed in God's will rather than in worldly security. We are in the world, walking upon it. But we're not of it. It's not where our joy lives. It's not where our pleasure is. 
And you know, don't you, when you put your joy and pleasure in the world, it just makes you unhappy. It's a sticking plaster on the situation. But it doesn't heal the wound of unhappiness. Only when you fix yourself in Jesus, in God, will unhappiness sway. We're fixed in God. Yes, we're in the world, but we don't belong to here. It's not our real home. It's not our home country. Abraham's way of life was obviously uncertain and discomforting. It rested in constant obedience rather than self-preservation, rather than in self-will. Predominantly, it is a life whose real comfort is in doing God's will. And it makes us wonder where our real comforts lie, what our choices would have been in Abraham's place. There would come a day when his tribe would become divided. Lot would want to go his own way. Abraham was much older then. He was 75, we read, when he started. But his choices did not appreciably falter or change, even despite his age, despite the occasional slip. Still, he was willing to live God's way rather than retire into Sodom. He could have said, well, I'll retire into the city. I've done my bit. I've labored for the Lord. I've worked hard. It's time to retire. He could have said that. He didn't. He chose the hard way for God's glory. He remained the blessed while Lot spiraled down to disaster. And Lot's end was a cave, incestuous ignominy, born of a desire for comfort. God's best is not always the comforts of life that we might crave. More often the fire that blessing comes, more often in the flood. And so we have to focus our priorities on God and desire his will more than our own comforts. By faith, Abraham believed And that's what was accounted to him for righteousness. In the end of verse 9, it speaks of his son and grandson. We read, um, he sojourned in the land of compromisers in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. But it speaks of them being heirs together and eventual recipients of a greater promise. The simple fact is that the only way he could receive this promise was through righteousness. There's a whole branch of Christianity thinks that says once saved, always saved. Well, that's true. When we're saved, we're saved by grace, we can do what we like. Well, that's true if what you like doing is the will of God. Because that is what we see in Abraham, a changed will, a changed desire. The simple fact is that only the only way he could receive this promise was through righteousness. And as we'll see, he looked for a righteous kingdom where only righteousness dwelt. We're actually told this in James 2 and verse 23, just a few pages over from Hebrews. The scripture was fulfilled which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed or accounted to his life, uh, put to the account of his life unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. That's a remarkable thing to be, isn't it? The friend of God. Who wouldn't want to be like Abraham if it meant being the friend of God? 
That's an added encouragement, isn't it? Faith is a multifaceted jewel, faceted jewel. Given by a gracious God, it brings direction, brings blessing, brings purpose. It causes us to endeavor for him. It brings valor, makes us brave to do things we wouldn't normally do. And it brings a standing with God that nothing else can bring because it causes God to account our life with the righteousness of Jesus in whom our faith is placed. And faith is more than a purpose in and for God. It has a focus in his son Jesus. And all that he has done for us, its driving force is to respond in a way that reflects his kindness, his sacrifice. And despite all of the response it can bring, all of the problems, all of the difficulties, it draws from God the great blessing of an imputed righteousness. It says in Isaiah that he's clothed me with a garment of salvation. He's covered me with a robe of righteousness. Salvation in Jesus, righteousness of Jesus. So despite all of that response it can bring, it draws us from God that greatest blessing of the righteousness of Jesus. A relationship comes to us. A relationship, even a friendship. I'm not just a servant of God. Most religions uh, account their followers as servants. Well, certainly we serve God, but we're not just servants of God. We're more than saved. We're friends of God, the maker, if we trust in Jesus. For all that we can commend Abraham for the actions of his faith, we must never forget either its source or its eternal effect. Abraham pleased God, but it was God who made it possible, God who called him, God who made the promises, God who enabled him. And of course, all that he has done for Abraham, he can do for us, for you and for me. And in, in many ways, he has. He's given us the same blessing and the same vision. The same calling to go, the same disattachment to this world is enable us to look beyond what we can see and to receive the promise of what will one day be. And we finish with this. Abraham looked beyond what he could see to what will be. Verse 10. He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I wonder if you look to eternity. As a Christian, is that where you live your life, in the hope of eternity? The patience of Abraham was tested and at times he failed, particularly with regards to the promised son. He tried to manipulate it in many ways, but in general, and despite his efforts to work out, it out for himself, he rested in God and after failing, always returned to God. Even when he went and hid uh, in Egypt, I think it was at the time, he did it twice. Uh, he returned to Bethel, the last place of blessing, and built an altar and worshipped God. He rested in God, always returned to God. He never fully lost the focus of the promises made, and he never, ever lost the ultimate promise. 
and it's seen in the predominant way he lived, almost never attached to the earth, almost always seeking to obey, more and more as time went on. And this was because his ultimate hope rested in more than life. Why do I find life so difficult? Because my hope rests in life. Well, Abraham's ultimate hope rested in something that was more than life. It rested in his kingdom to come or God's kingdom to come. It was more about things. It was about God. It was about his kingdom. It was about time or etern- uh, 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 and eternity. How is he able to go on? But he looked beyond sight to promise. He looked beyond time to eternity. His hope was not in the fallen world, but it was in the eternal God. Now I wonder what you look to. How will you appropriate Jesus? How will you gain the pleasure of God? Well, I will strive to do this and I will strive to do that. And I'll clothe myself in all this self-righteousness. And Jesus say, I came not for the righteous or not for the self-righteous, but for sinners. Sinners need saving. Sin is the handle upon which uh, we grasp Christ. Abraham wasn't a perfect man, but he trusted in a perfect God. His home was never in earthly Canaan. He always had a view of the heavenly city that was to come. Well, that's what verse 10 tells us. We can be sure of that. He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He looked for preeminency in God. His home was always in God. He walked with God, he talked with God, and he lived with and for God. And that's how we should be also. Yes, we'll have our ups and downs, the same as Abraham did, the same as Moses did, the same as David did. We'll have our struggles, our trials, our failures, our fallings, but our direction of life will always be toward and for God, seeking to do his will with an eye on an eternal inheritance found only in Jesus Christ. We should seek to live our lives in the presence of God. Seek to obey him and to do his bidding, to do his will. Our lives being lived in the permanency of God rather than the temporal nature of this world. And that for us is the example. It's challenging, the challenging lesson. But we take our steer from the word of God. We live our lives for his permanency rather than in our own fallen hope, our own fallen opinions. We rest in that certainty of a glory yet to come, only attained in Christ Jesus who we mentioned earlier, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, who said to the disciples on that night before he was killed, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again 
and take you to be with me where I am. Where is he? In that place in heaven. It's the example for us, the challenge, the lesson. To rest in the certainty of a glory yet to come, of a hope beyond hope, where righteousness dwells and where all tears are wiped clear, a pain-free, Jesus-filled existence in God forever and ever. And faith is the first requirement to please God. It is born of and comes from God. And it has to rest on the only ground upon which it can grow. It has to rest in Jesus, without whom we cannot see God. So where does your faith rest? Does it rest in words? Have no fruit, no action? Is it futile? Is it pointless? Or does it rest in Jesus and in his word? You're not a Christian today. You're living your life in a, what may seem a fine way to you, but you're living it in the danger of an eternal judgment to come. And if you are a Christian today, does the world know? Your neighbours know? The people you work with know? Do they see it, not just with you saying, I'm a Christian and I go to church, but do they see it? in the way you live your life. Faith rests in Jesus, without whom we cannot see God, but it acts. It seeks to be like Jesus. It seeks to follow him. Isn't that what Abraham did? He heard the voice of God and he followed him. And he trusted him, and all of his hope rested and was found in him. Amen.